welcome to North of the Wall. I'm Colin Campbell, and with me is Justin Perez. Hey. All right, so we're done. <laughs> That's it. I'm excited. We can talk about the finale of the most important show on TV, yeah. which is Ballers. <laughs> <laughs> we're going to do it for three hours. I don't even think it was the finale last night. I did watch it, though. Is it lined up kind of seasonally with Game of Thrones? I think it started either the same week or the week before, but since Thrones was a seven-episode season, it it still has who knows how many to go. What if we really did? It's an infinite well of storytelling, so... (laughs) Can you compare and contrast them very quickly for us so we understand how they're basically the same show, I assume? Okay, so the two things that are similar about them are, uh, one, they're on HBO, and two... hmm, There's a large, muscular dude in both. They are, yeah. The second thing is they are both fiction. (laughs) And even that one, Ballers is... It's fiction, but it's like fiction set in the real world with real events. So it doesn't even really make it to two similarities. (laughs) But they're both on HBO, all right, so let's talk about the show, I guess, that we were going to talk about. Season 7, Episode 7, Game of Thrones. Uh, what do you think? So <laughs> we've been spending the last couple of episodes like picking it apart and making fun of it. And I'm, I'm going to do that this time around, too. But Oh, so am I. Yeah, but I'm, I'm, I'm fine. I'm fine. I really am. I, there were some things I really liked about it. I actually really liked the whole parlay. I liked the whole thing. I liked the approach. I liked the buildup. I liked how how they took their time with it. I like seeing all those characters together acting like adults for the most part. <laughs> um, <laughs> that was refreshing. It was like, okay, like, let's let's address the problem. Let's talk about the problem. Let's talk about potential solutions for the problem. Let's talk about the consequences that those solutions are going to have on us. Not everybody acted like an adult at all times, and some of them acted <laughs> evil, but... I enjoyed seeing all these characters actually together having a conversation. <laughs> and I like the build up. We had some good reunions. We had yeah, Cogain and Brian kind of <laughs> talking about their girl, the w- weirdest mom and dad foster parent <laughs> situation I've ever seen. Uh, also, last time she killed him, right? I mean, she thought she did. Yeah, she thought he killed him. That's the last time they saw each other? Yeah. And then they were talking about Arya yeah, okay. and said some stuff about. Who's protecting her if you're here? The only one that needs protecting is the one that gets in your way. It won't be me. Sort of, she can take care of herself now, basically. Mm-hmm. And, and Glenn smiles, and that was, that was he's proud of the fact <laughs> that Arya's become a killer. Right. And then Tyrion reunites with Pod, and reunites with Bronn, <laughs> even though Bronn is talking about how... Don't you worry about me, I'm doing all right. Looking after myself. Are you? Helping me to arrange this meeting wasn't exactly looking after yourself, was it? You put yourself at risk. I put yourself at risk. Important difference. It's your head Queen Cersei's offered a bag of gold for us, not mine. Now, thanks to me, she's got two traitors' heads coming right through her door. She can lop them both off as soon as she gets tired of the clever words that pour out their piles. All thanks to Sabrona the fucking Blackwater. If that's not looking after myself, I don't know what is. It's good to see you again. Yeah, you too. He's taking care of himself and leading him to basically be killed if it plays out that way. They still acknowledge right. that they that they missed each other. So there's some nice, like, I think well-handled moments of heart to the episode. Yeah, I thought the, the little moments 
at this thing were good. The larger story of it all, I still have a lot of trouble with. What was the, uh, what was your biggest sort of what the hell moment? Well, the biggest, I mean, my biggest problem with that whole meeting is, I mean, we had to, we had to take a step back and just review. So the plan was to go north and kidnap a zombie from uh, Unstoppable Army to get one of them, right? (laughs) And then to bring the zombie to Cersei, like it's going to change her mind and put the war aside. Yes. And I think everyone's response when they originally brought this up was, this is the dumbest thing you could possibly do. There's no way Cersei will go for that. And uh, that's exactly how it turned out. Yeah. (laughs) And not only that, by executing the plan, they gave Cersei the chance to screw with them and pretend like she was going to go with the plan. So they're actually worse off politically than they were before they showed up. I, I don't, what I don't understand though is how, all right, back up. We're going to talk a little bit about Cersei and her siblings in the meeting she okay. had. So I think she, she had similar meetings with Tyrion and Jamie, where she ultimately threatened to kill both of them and decided not to. Right. I don't think she was ever going to kill Tyrion. I'm now more No, con- she wouldn't. That would have been sort of political suicide yeah. because there was literally a dragon outside that would have burned everything to the ground. Right. And she wanted Tyrion to go back and sell the idea that she's on board. Right. I don't think she's actually pregnant now. I'm now I'm in the camp of yeah, she's not actually pregnant. I could still go either way on that, but I don't I don't see why she is pregnant. With Jamie, he also called her bluff and she didn't want him to leave. Because I don't understand the part where she just lets him leave with the knowledge that she's going to backstab everybody he's going to go team up with now. So in that scene where she like gives the mountain the sign to go ahead and kill him, how much did you think she was going to kill him? 95%. In that moment. (laughs) As soon as she said that, or not said, but just gave a head nod to the mountain to go ahead and kill him, I was 100% sure it was going to happen. Yeah, me too. Like I actually started thinking about how that was a interesting way for this whole arc to end is he riding north is that where he's going they didn't really make that clear they didn't but he he's intent on helping he's completely bought into this idea now that we all have to band together because we're going to lose and if we don't lose right. against the living we're going to lose against the dead so we've got to go but help. he doesn't have an army so how's he going to help he's, he's going to show up and be the one one guy yeah he's a great commander so yeah. there you go okay yeah. he only has one hand it's, and winter arrives as he's leaving too to kind of mm-hmm. put a, a cast on everything. Yeah, so that's sort of the King's Landing bit. Let's jump to Winterfell. So we got to see Littlefinger die. Yep. So I will say that the Winterfell scene, as a scene in a vacuum, was extremely satisfying. We got to see the sisters outsmarting Littlefinger. We got to see him die eventually. There's a slight twist to it, I guess. I mean, I was pretty sure as soon as Arya ro- walked in the room that Littlefinger was dying. But, you know, as a single scene put together, I thought it was really good. Even believing that that was a pretty strong livelihood, the pacing of it and the unveiling of it still worked quite well. And right. And I like that it made Sansa look like a, a really smart, strong leader. It gets a lot of that kind of nonsense out of the way of the Starks competing with each other and not being right. on the same page. Right. So I want to talk about that. So... The end was really good. Last week or two weeks ago, whenever it was, we were, mostly me, uh, was upset about how they were treating that story um, with the two sisters looking to fight. So from a, if you just look at it at a high level like narrative arc, it kind of works as like these two sisters are being set up to fight. They figure out what's going on and turn it against 
their enemy, right? That works as a as a story arc. Yeah, I don't know. I felt like this this little arc suffered definitely from the short amount of time that the show was on this season where they didn't give it enough time to transition from we are literally staring each other at the face and like thinking about killing each other to we are on the same team the very next scene we are together like from a construction of a television show it didn't work for me what's frustrating to me about it is that i i don't think they knew what to do with Arya and sansa this season because they couldn't get them into the thick of it because they needed them in the north right and they couldn't make them deal with any major conflict so they had to make them deal with each other in the contrast of the show and where we are in the show like this would have worked maybe season two but right because in season two they when they were pacing things like they were in the early seasons this would have played out differently yes and the in season seven where the stakes are so high and everyone else is off doing amazing huge things it felt like they sidelined the two stark girls into sibling rivalry right instead they just needed something for them to do so i think we'll talk about this as a larger topic after we go through the whole episode but it felt like they knew the end point, which was Arya and Sansa are going to kill Littlefinger. But the journey to get there, I'm guessing they didn't have as much detail from George R. R. Martin on. So they had to fill that in themselves. Right. Like, I would guess that Martin did give them Littlefinger dies at the hands of Arya and it's because of Bran and whatever. Like, all those pieces. But how you get there, <laughs> like, I haven't written that book yet, so... I can't or, tell you for sure. Or this is the going back to a theory we had about halfway through the season, where a, a make believe theory: George R. R. Martin is actually Littlefinger, and he's been playing the writers this whole time. <laughs> the writers caught on two episodes before the end of the season. And we're like, we're gonna kill that guy. <laughs> so, um, <laughs> so Littlefinger in the books is actually gonna live till the end. Yes, he's actually gonna win the whole thing. Yeah, I suppose it's it's possible. Okay, so my other, I'm, I'm going to call it a small issue with the scene, is basically with the due process of Winterfell. <laughs> so it seems like he was executed entirely on the word of Bran, Robot Boy, right? There was no other real proof other than Bran said, I, I saw him. I went and I looked. <laughs> Which is true. Like We know that it is how it happened, and we know that that's something that he could do. So it makes complete sense. But does that just mean that Bran could be like, oh, I went and looked at Lady Mormont's history and she killed some guys, so we're going to kill her. Just because he's jealous. He wants to be the youngest person in the room. Yeah. <laughs> I, think he, I think that's how it works now. Yeah. It I seems like there wasn't, even, there wasn't even much from Littlefinger's direction of like, how could you possibly know this? Yeah, he's he was, lying. Like, he, there was none of that. Yeah. He was just shocked that they knew and they'd figured it out. And then he out. was dead. They killed him right on the floor in a pool of blood and like... There's a lot of weirdness to that. Like it's very fulfilling for us, but from the out, outside perspective, if you heard that your lord and lady had killed another lord and lady <laughs> in their great hall because their little brother said so, is <laughs> it sounds a little bit it's like the, yeah, it sounds like the Targaryens a little bit. It's messed up. Right. It's also like that's kind of a Lannister move. Yeah, exactly. It's messed um, up. So, yeah, I, I don't know. I still like it had those problems and I the, but still the scene itself was really cool. I also really love Littlefinger's face when the turn happens and he's just like, oh, wait, <laughs> what'd you say? For me, the I don't know if the destination justified the journey that it took to get there. 
it because the journey was so poor yeah i i agree with that too and i didn't think it needed to be i mean my issues with sansa and Arya are not with the actresses who i think do an excellent job it's not mm-hmm. with the characters it's it's how they're executed on i think in the writing but yeah it was still a good payoff even if the middle, right. of the middle of the season really took its time getting there and yeah. fumbled a little bit in the process. And but, it was nice even just for that scene, having everyone involved act rationally. Yes. Including including Bran, who finally decided to help. Yes. <laughs> I'm actually going to contribute. He could solve so many things if he just would talk to people, but yes. he's a robot. Yeah. Because even, yeah, so like even going back to King's Landing, like even in all that with their parlay and all those things that happened... Cersei, Cersei played it well. Like she got exactly what she wanted. But the moment in that whole scene at at uh, King's Landing that made like it it works in character, so it didn't bother me as much as some of the other stupid things that the characters have been doing. But Jon Snow saying that he had decided to bend the knee to, <laughs> to Daenerys, which I appreciated that even the show, like through Tyrion, said like you know. Go ahead and lie yeah. one time. <laughs> like that one is that's such a dumb move. It's a bad decision, but that one you kind of let slide because that is what John would do, I guess. That's but true. nothing gained. Nothing gained at all by saying that. Like just go ahead and lie. Okay, so I want to talk about Dragonstone for a minute. Okay. Do you have, do you have more Winterfell or King's Landing you want to hit? Uh, no, we can move. So we were in Dragonstone for just a just a barely a minute and it took even less time for the party to get there <laughs> <laughs> that's true but there was a cool scene here between theon and john where john okay go ahead you go ahead and talk this up because <laughs> i'm a terrier <laughs> it was sort of the broken theon coming to john wanting to know how he knows how to do the right thing all the time what you did in king's landing what you said could have lied to Cersei about bending the knee to Daenerys. You risked everything to tell an enemy the truth. We went down there to make peace. And it seems to me we need to be honest with each other if we're going to fight together. You've always known what was right. Even when we were all young and stupid, you always knew every step you take. What I like about this scene is less the whole him going off and kicking ass on the beach, which he does in a minute. But right. this is actually John being a good guy. This, and I think about this kind of thing a lot in terms of how to help people in their careers and when you're coaching people, when you're managing people. <laughs> He makes a deliberate choice. It's always the right step. It's not. It may seem that way from the outside, but I promise you, it's not true. I've done plenty of things that I regret. How compared to me, you haven't? No. Not compared to you. I always wanted to do the right thing. the right kind of person but never knew what that meant it's always seemed like this 
Like there was an impossible choice I had to make. Stark or Greyjoy. I don't believe he wants Theon in his family as a Stark. Mm-hmm. But he recognizes that he can make a choice here to either build Theon up and challenge him and give him the tools to be a better person or tear him down mm-hmm. and keep on the keep on the path he's on. Our father was more of a father to you than yours ever was. He was. And you betrayed him. Betrayed his memory. I did. But you never lost him. He's a part of you. Just like he's a part of me. From the things I've done. It's not my place to forgive you for all of it. But what I can forgive, I do. You don't need to choose. You're a great joy. And you're a stop. And he makes a choice to sacrifice something that he holds dearly, like the sacred Stark family, and use it as a way to make Theon a better person. In the lens of this show, that's impressive that that still exists uh, and is a theme that they can actually land. Fine. That's, that's my take. I have no, uh, no problems with any of that. Counterpoint, Theon is the fucking worst. <laughs> he sucks. He is, okay, so here's my first hot take of our, of our podcast. Theon is the worst character on Game of Thrones. From beginning to end is the worst. From a from a value to, as like an entertainment property for the viewers, everything involving Theon is the worst, except for when he jumped off a building with Sansa. <laughs> so he had about 10 minutes of, of screen time where he paid off and everything else. So they stretched out that Ramsey Theon stuff for like, a year and a half longer than that maybe whereas we out of ramsey we got in the same way that i feel about joffrey like a really bad character like from an evil standpoint that was really good for the show like you need to have that for the show you could at least look at that like year-long torture scene which should have been one episode like one b story one episode but they did it for so long and it at least built ramsey up like another layer of evil on that guy right. and then we got to have battle of the bastards theon on the other hand i don't think we've had one redeeming thing other than him jumping out of a building with sansa that scene was terrible he couldn't do any he hasn't done anything helpful as a Greyjoy. like his they the sister took over as the, the strong voice of that family and theon didn't contribute anything i don't understand why theon got an invite to winterfell no, no, not to Winterfell, sorry, to King's Landing. I think because in this he, episode. he is still the stand-in for Yara as heading up the Greyjoys that were left, which weren't that many. Yeah, it doesn't, like, it's it's really stupid. He shouldn't, that, he's not important enough to be invited to that. He just, they got him to go because the writers wanted to poke fun at him via uh, Euron, right, which they got to. Now we have him again where he's, like, emo kid. <laughs> Where he just, he has no self-confidence. He's just kind of an annoying person. Then we get to the the scene on the beach. 
there's a bunch of soldiers that we don't know. Like, they're just generic river people, right? From the Greyjoys? Yeah, they're from yeah. the Iron Isles, and they're, they're the last Greyjoys loyal to Yara and Theon, because the rest of them right. died. When okay, so we have this group that, like, ultimately doesn't matter at all. And I think that's also what's starting to piss me off, is I'm preemptively irritated at the screen time that he's going to get next year. Because in the same way that, like, they would go to Dorne for 20 minutes at a time in Season 5, or they would have Theon get tortured for 15 minutes. Like, there's so many other things going on in this world that we have... It's more important for us to be watching. That every bit of screen time that Theon has to take is taking away. And it's... That's... It's those little like we have to give Theon we have to give Theon five minutes on the beach where he can beat up some nameless soldiers that we've never seen before. Those five minutes could have been spent on Ari and Sansa. Like that that's where the time goes. That's the reason that those things struggle is because they don't have enough time. And they don't have enough time because there isn't enough episodes. And even in the episodes that they have, they're giving time to things like this. That's I hate Theon so much. <laughs> and he's gonna take up like the amount of time he deserves for season eight is zero percent of season eight, and he's going to take up more than that. Like, does him going and rescuing Yara matter at all? Like, the army of the dead is coming, and Cersei is still in power in King's Landing. Yara doesn't matter at all, and Theon is a crap character that doesn't matter even less because he's just there to do whatever this Yara side plot is. I hate him. Theon's the worst character of Game of Thrones. I don't really know how to respond to that. <laughs> it's because I'm right. Also, okay, so that it's we've established that I'm right and Theon is the worst. Now let's talk about this battle on the beach that happens. So he's just getting beaten by this giant man, right? And then somehow the tides have turned because the guy kicks him in the balls, but he doesn't have balls. So first of all, so if you just removed everything from down south like what theon has and then let someone kick you it would still hurt you're still getting kicked yeah but not nearly as much sure but i mean like if that giant dude just kicked me in the stomach where i I don't have any uh balls or penis in my stomach um that's gonna hurt and and take you down that didn't make any sense (laughs) like why did he get powered up by that and also Everyone on that boat, I'm pretty sure, knows that he doesn't have that, the equipment. So, so. what is he kicking in there for? That was just nonsense. I think, I mean, you could argue that Theon is is digging deep, I admit. Lacking the information of what role he plays in season eight and in the books, which is a topic we can discuss, you could argue that he's part of the redemption story that we see in a few places in Game of Thrones. In a lot of cases, we don't get to the redemption. We don't get to see the payoff of someone learning from their experiences and growing from it because they die before that happens. Maybe right before <laughs> that happens in a lot of cases. But he's someone who's made mistakes and failures and done horrible things and is actually trying to... like he's, he, In some ways, he's one of the characters who has swung the wildest on the pendulum of depravity to hope. And so I see value there. Right. Okay. All right. I hope the first scene of season eight is him getting in that rowboat and the rowboat springs a leak and they just drown. (laughs) (laughs) Just remove him from the board. We don't need it. It's just a waste of time. He was a waste of time in this episode because of that beach scene. I think as a vehicle for other characters, 
I'm finding him interesting. Now, admittedly, he doesn't have a lot of relate. Like with Sansa, that was a he. He was an interesting character in the relationship with Sansa. With John, this is a great way to show John being a leader, making choices to build people up. Okay, I hate Theon. <laughs> <laughs> okay, that just leaves us with Eastwatch. No, it doesn't leave us with Eastwatch. Well, Some, no, something there's else. a boat ride. <laughs> there's a boat ride. And there's some important stuff that happens at Winterfell. Yeah, so his name is not Jon Snow. It's it's also not Jon Sand, which, okay, humor me for a minute. I don't fully understand why he would be Sand. You and I discussed this after, and maybe it's because, you, you made the point, maybe it's just because that's where he was conceived. Yeah, or, that's because the Tower of Joy is in Dorne, so okay. he was born in Dorne, so he's the Sand. Okay, so that's a little weird, but what are the other bastard names from game of thrones like if you're born in the iron isles you like john iron john salt uh, <laughs> uh john iron is not bad no it's not it might be john salt though and like if you're okay. from essos either are you, those are fine yeah like what are the other ones that would be there if, if you're in if you're from essos so we know be... that the north is john snow i i would assume that the south is like john's son or something like that <laughs> essos is where the bank is right I think there's some other ones. I think like Flower is one, maybe. Yeah, that's is where the bank is. So like maybe you're John Money. Money Gold. Money John Gold. Johnny Gold. Yeah. Yeah. What if you're from LA? What is it if you're from Los Angeles? Because that's where you are. If you're from Los Angeles, I think you're Johnny Traffic. <laughs> Johnny Traffic. Yeah. Pretty good. Yeah. Montreal, I don't know. Poutine seems too easy. John Poutine. I think um, if you're anywhere in Canada, you're just Jon Snow. <laughs> <laughs> okay, that's reasonable. Yeah, okay, so he's he's not Jon Snow. He's not Jon Sand. He's not even Jon. He's he's Aegon Targaryen. Right, Aegon. That's what she said, right? Aegon, yeah, or Aegon. he said? Yeah, but what I, I did like what came right before this, though, with Sam and Bran, when Sam walked into the room and asked Bran a question and like what have you been doing or what's happened and, and Bran responded with I became the three-eyed raven and yeah, Sam's yeah. response was oh I don't know what that means which is the response that literally everyone should have yes. <laughs> and no one has had until Sam yeah. I was like good on you Sam <laughs> look, look the problem right in the face and <laughs> like maybe, you, maybe you're the one who can help make Bran not yeah. incredibly awkward because everyone else has just kind of been like, oh, okay, right? <laughs> I don't like, know how really, to as soon as he showed up at Winterfell and said, I am now the Three-Eyed Raven, someone should have just been like, I, nobody knows what that is. Somebody wheel this weirdo kid, just park him under that tree so we don't have to talk to him. We still have Sam and Tyrion to be our voice. <laughs> yeah, so Sam and Bram put the pieces together at the same time that some stuff's that going the, That they're banging. Yeah. Yeah, so we talked about for a few weeks about how we know that those two characters are related, and we also were pretty certain that they were going to start doing it. Yep. And how awkward it was going to be because of how long the scene was going to be. It turned out that the scene wasn't actually that long, but HBO found a way to make it even more awkward, <laughs> and that was to put the voiceover of them being family over, <laughs> over the sexy time. 
It was real weird. I was uncomfortable watching it by myself. It was really, really weird. Yeah. It was also kind of a like as far as the storytelling goes, like it was just like an exposition explosion. Yeah. Instead of it being a scene where characters found something out, it was just Bran talking. But I guess that they had to do that in order to turn him into kind of a narrator of the Targaryen porno. Yeah. Do you want to talk more about this, or can we move on? <laughs> I mean, do you want to do some jokes? Okay, let's do some jokes. Okay, so the first one is that winter came, <laughs> right? There. Uh, so winter finally came, which we were waiting for, and Daenerys, so the Khaleesi got, let's say, seven inches of snow. Oh, no. That's no. Oh, no, 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 no. <laughs> <laughs> No, you're leaving that in. <laughs> eight, eight inches of snow? I don't know. Yeah. That's a joke about his penis. Yeah. <laughs> okay. God, I just wanted to be clear. I wasn't okay. sure if you wasn't sure if you got it. No, those are good. Those are good. So Eastwatch falls. <laughs> Ice dragon comes. Not like winter comes. But... Yeah. You no, know, like it shows up. Yeah. It arrives. First of all, it looked really cool. We got it to did. see the zombie dragon. We got to see the Night King riding a zombie dragon, and we got to see it shoot. Now, is it is it shooting fire? I think that's the idea, that it's cold fire. So, But it's still, like, it, it destroyed ice, right? Because yeah. the wall is made up of ice. Yeah, and I think here, so talking about the whole, like, leaping into full force into fantasy, this is where uh-huh. I'm like, you know what? Fine. Let's do it. I'm on board. And maybe it's fire, I, but it's just blue. Yeah, I'm like, it's just, now he's just spewing magic. Maybe maybe it's fire, maybe it's ice, maybe it's cold fire, and maybe it's so hot it's blue. I don't care. Whatever. It's it's viewing magic. Let's do it. I'm on board. There's some nerd somewhere that knows exactly what it is. Yeah. And uh, he or she is very upset with us right now. Yeah, and I, I'm often that nerd. I'm not the nerd right now. I'm just like, yeah, okay. Right. Let's do it. Whatever. That nerd likes likes Theon, so we don't care about him. <laughs> so so we talked about maybe Barrack and Tormund don't die? Yeah, I don't think they die. I think they would have very clearly shown them dying if they were going to. And also, the last shot that you get of them is is kind of of them viewing the wall falling, right? Connecting the dots, it feels like they should have died, but we didn't uh-huh. see them die, which means I think one of two things. Either they're not dead or they come back as whites. Oh, yeah, I could see them coming back as whites being an interesting thing. Yeah. But I, like, I think that they would be more explicit showing characters dying. This season was more about showing characters almost dying and then not dying. Yes, that's true. And I hope Tormund isn't dead because he's still fan favorite. Right. Okay, so my one massive question about this whole scene with the wall coming down. Ready? Yes. The Night King takes down the wall with the dragon. Mm-hmm. They were marching towards the wall before they had a dragon. What was the plan? So there is a internet theory long-standing uh-huh. internet theory that bran and the night king are one that robot so, boy becomes but what is how does that help answer my question he knew that a dragon was going to show up i think that that's the leap you could take if you're following that line of thinking but bran can't see into the future can he uh no but he can he can see into the past correct and the present yeah, but he, uh-huh. but time is getting weird. Time, timey wimey. Uh, yeah, I don't know. It's weird. The you, you could take a leap that as Bran goes more powerful over time 
and delves deeper and deeper into things he should not delve, then it gets weirder and weirder and it's more circular and maybe the Night King and his visions knew that there was going to be a dragon there for him. It's similar to how like Hodor was laid as a bomb way back in the past so that it can play out in the present with Hold the Door. Something similar played out this way. I don't actually think, I don't actually adhere to this internet theory. I think it's not very interesting. <laughs> it's not very good. Yeah. But if that's the case, and that, that's how you could make that leap. If you're okay, not... so if you don't believe that, then the Night King and the army, I don't get it. Like, they were going to show up, come out of the... Like, I kind of imagine they walk out of the woods, like they did. They all stop, and they get there. And then someone, like one of the Night King's assistants, just goes like, Oh, man, this is still here? And then they're just stuck. Well, we had Charles with the chains and Larry with Sackhead. There's probably right? there's probably a, a a White Walker that's like the no. I just had the long ladder. <laughs> so, <laughs> just I've, long ladder guy. I, I have the ice ladder. The one long ladder. The Night's Watch could have could have withstood that. They yeah. needed to take it down. So. Yeah, I don't know. I think they didn't have a plan. I think they forgot. I just think that they forgot that the wall was there, and they lucked out. Because, and let's go back to it one more time, our heroes executed the stupidest plan <laughs> that could possibly happen. So, like, let's think of all of the things that came out of this. For the good guys, they gained Sackhead. Yes. Did they gain anything else? I guess uh, Daenerys saw the White Walkers, so she believed. So they brought... They brought the the most important, the most powerful hero onto the good guys. So okay, so that's a big that's a big game. Now she could have just taken a dragon and flew over the wall, looked down and said, Oh look, there they are, then came back. But never mind, we'll let that go. So they gained that and then that's it? I don't think they gained anything else, right? You could argue from doing that. From what we know, you could argue that they gained time. Cause Cersei's not going to attack them while they're doing this allegedly though i think she probably will based upon next season having yeah. to happen so. okay maybe maybe they gain time but i'm not even i'm not even conceding that one so they got a sackhead and they got denarius to believe so denarius believing is a really strong that's a strong game what they lost is they lost they fell behind even further with cersei cuz cersei used it to trick them yes they lost the priest. Yep. They lost the dragon. Yep. <laughs> like, there are three dragons. They had all three, and they gave one up. Yes. Not just lost and it, now but handed it over. The other team has a dragon. Yes. So that's a net, net gain of negative two dragons. Yes. Right? Because it's one to the negative, it's one to the bad, and minus one to the good. Yeah. So you just lost two points of dragons. Now, that, uh, and then, uh, I mean, if A, then B, then C, they lost the wall protecting the world. <laughs> so uh, that wasn't a great plan. That's not a good cost benefit, really. No. It's pretty poor. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe, I mean, what could have made it better for them is if they had brought Theon with them. <laughs> and then he had to give himself up. So instead of a nice dragon, they had a nice Theon, is what you're saying. 
I know. I think they still get they still get the dragon. You just, you just want the ungone. That's the win. Yeah. For you. yeah. I'm saying the positive that they gain by adding that is addition by subtraction. <laughs> In which case, I mean, that's kind of a fair. That's a fair trade. Some weird economics going on. Yeah. But no, I do think that the Night King didn't actually have a plan. They forgot that the wall existed and someone was going to get murdered as soon as they walked out of the woods and realized what what went wrong. <laughs> That's like you get to the border and realize you forgot your passport. You're like, oh. Yeah. You forgot your passport, but you've been walking to the border <laughs> for seven years. With lots of people around you. I mean, most yeah. of them are dead, so they can't get angry. But you have other white right. walkers with you. All and right. that's it. So that's season seven. Yeah. Okay, here's my second hot take. This is my last one. The last one for the pod. Ready? Yeah. This was the worst season of Game of Thrones. <laughs> It wasn't for parts of it. There are parts where I was like, this is the most exciting Game of Thrones. This is Okay, the... so that is the obvious counterpoint. Now let me uh, rebuttal. Okay. The high po- there, were, there were two high points for me, or that I think for the season. Yeah. They were the end of episode three and the end of episode four. So episode three, we got Grandma Tyrell being gangsta grandma. That's really good. There's no real comparable thing to that. Then we got the loot train attack, terribly named. But that's what it is, the loot train attack. Now, visually, it was very cool. We got to see a dragon. We got to see the Dothraki. Really, really good. From a narrative standpoint, that battle didn't matter at all. Well, it convinced John, or sorry, it convinced Jamie that they can't win. Sure. Okay. Yeah. They got that. But like nobody important died, nothing really came out of it. Man, you Other hate than Dickon. You always, Jamie... you always dismiss Dickon. Oh yeah, that's true. I do dismiss him because he is a dismissible character. <laughs> but that's it. That's like that's the two high points of the series. I guess Littlefinger's death scene, but we talked about that. There were so many problems getting to that that it it sort of ruined how good that last scene was. Yeah, me. so that's fair. I think there's a, there was a theme in this season that was not present before, which is the tension of having difficulty knowing who to root for or who to root against. Oh, uh, yeah, no, that's game. a good point. That was yeah. really good. Yeah, that tension was there built on the foundations of previous episodes. It just paid off in this season a lot more. Right. Yeah, we did get a, a note of that, in, especially in the loot train attack. But like that loot train battle, there was a better fight last year, and that was Battle of the Bastards, that had way more narrative significance. Yes. The most immediate comparison for that fight, it it was obliterated yeah so the only and then so we had a couple like pretty high moments there those are definitely two really good spots but the north of the wall episode name that's the name of our podcast so the name the podcast north of the wall is excellent we like that the north of the wall episode of game of thrones was really bad (laughs) (laughs) like it was so bad it was just bad decisions on bad decisions and then a bunch of like lucky coincidences. I've been thinking about this a lot. Having read the books, not knowing what's coming in the books, now being well past when the book stopped. Because the book hasn't come out mm-hmm. since the show started airing. Right. We don't know what narrative boxes George R. R. Martin has written himself into fully. We can surmise, but it all depends on mm-hmm. his execution. Yeah, so my worry with this is... And, oh, just... Just to put a bow on, this is the worst season of Game of Thrones. The accelerated pace of it, I think, doesn't help. And also, the fact that 
for me, it was a bad season, but we also haven't seen the whole season. Like, season eight, what is going to be seasonally supposed to be, it was all supposed to be one big chunk, which by doing that, they have made the existence of a half season that doesn't get what was supposed to go with it, and it just makes that half season seem even worse. Like, if we were where we are in episode five of a, of a proper throne season, then I think the season still has a lot of potential. It'll turn itself around. And you're just in that, like every throne season has, at some point has a lull where they're setting the table and there's less action and it's a little bit of a downer, but then it accelerates back up towards the end of the season. So we don't really even get to see that for this season. We just get to kind of get the valley That's and not fair. the peak. So there's that, and I do, the, the only season that I can think of well, so comparing season seven to the rest of them, the only one that really comes close is season five. And season five was heavy on Dorne and the uh, Sandstakes. Okay, gotcha. All right. And it was just a lot of what I was talking about earlier, where it's just like spending so much time on things that I don't care about. And you have so many cool chess pieces, and you're just making me look at this other thing. Yeah. Um, that, uh, that season wasn't great, but for me, this one was worse. Uh, this season was the worst because it had all of the pacing problems that it did. Okay. Yeah. In addition to the narrative problems that existed. That's all reasonable. I think it's a fair, yeah. fair criticism. What I've been thinking about a lot with the show is there's no way to know if this is accurate or not. We'll just have to wait and see and look and look at how season eight goes. What we don't know is what the showrunners and writers are dealing with in terms of all the things that George R. R. Martin set up that they stayed incredibly true to for the most part in -hmm. the first five seasons and then have to now shut down in a short amount of television. And they don't get the thing, they don't get the, the allowance that George R. R. Martin does, which is he can make the books within reason as long as he wants to he can add 100 pages to them if he needs to and still get it printed the well i mean on that point so can the showrunners the hbo hbo is never going to tell them to stop they decided they needed to get out okay that's that's fair I, i guess from a craft perspective this might be the best version of solving the problem that they have in front of them Maybe it's not. Maybe it's like, no, they actually could have made better choices and done other things. But I look at the choices they have made, and I think, comparing it to the books, and I think they've actually made really intelligent choices. They've simplified. Okay, so let's, yeah. let's on that point. Um, so my, my worry looking forward to season eight is that they're just going to go further uh, away from the shore, right? Where George R. R. Martin has stopped giving them the details, and he's just given them the outline the skeleton right yes um because that's what this season was so i'm worried that because this season was basically entirely that why isn't season eight also going to be bad and so that's so basically my (laughs) my faith in the showrunners has has been shaken (laughs) yeah and now i need you to bring me back around i've lost faith in the lord of light and i need you to tell me (laughs) what stuff from the books got better because the showrunners changed it for the show. So I think there's a few things. The main thing they've done is simplification. They, they have identified, for the most part, who their best characters are and how not to add too many, too many characters. So I was actually trying to look at this before we, we talked. I was trying to get a list of the characters I think, and I'm sure there's better lists out there, but I've, I've looked, 
uh, I've looked at the different characters and who is around and who isn't around from the books and where they've consolidated characters, where they've made characters fulfill different roles. Um, so I missed some. I have to have missed some because I'm not a deep Game of Thrones lore expert by any stretch. But those are the ones that I could like find in 15 minutes before we talked tonight. Because mm-hmm. I, w- I wanted to dig into this a little bit. So there's got to be more. And those aren't just the plot threads. Those are just the, just the people. <laughs> just the characters they collapsed down. Much less the pages on book that they didn't transfer into moments in expensive television creation. Right. Okay. Well, I hope they can do it. I still, I'm very negative on the show coming out of this season, but I still enjoy watching it. I still, it's one of, eh, it's not, I don't know if it's one of my favorite shows, but it's, it's a very good show. It's very entertaining. Yeah. That's like a, do all yeah. that. And it's, it irritates me that there are so many obvious problems and then they just put a dragon on the screen and uh, like, yeah, all right. <laughs> yeah. I think the, like we picked the, pick this apart a lot. Tons of other people have also picked it apart. What I think I can't speak for the rest of the, crowd of the internet that does this but for you and me there's a sort of i can speak for all of them okay i think for you and me there's a sort of part of our joy of the show is that there's things to make fun of a lot of things to make fun of but we we could do that for any show there's enough quality here and things that just make us super excited and big payoffs and dragons that Mm -hmm. keep us hooked in that make it worth it yeah that's true i hope it gets better so we have six episodes left, and they're not even really episodes. They're more like movies, because they're going to be long episodes. Like, last night's was long, and I think all of the season eight ones are longer than it. At least that's the plan. Okay. I'm on board um, that. So we're not quite to the end. But where does this show for you rank among all of the shows? So I'll say this. Does it... This is the best okay. fantasy show ever created for television. The best fantasy show? Yes. Uh, I mean, I would probably agree. I can't even think of many other ones. There's like it's Merlin never been it's never Camelot. been a real yeah. well for television. No, it has for movies. It has. Yeah. In, yeah, in it's of... definitely the best of that. If yeah. you, it definitely does not for me crack the like pantheon of shows though. No, I think I mean, I enjoy different things for different reasons, and. Uh-huh some of my movies that I've enjoyed the most are not my favorite movies. Like there's movies that I've enjoyed more than I've enjoyed my favorite movies. Enjoyment isn't my measure of quality, I guess like critical quality Uh and maybe even like transformative media that affects me and, and and affects who I am as a human being. Maybe the, the conversation, the talk I had about John and why that scene did resonate with me is that what that was one of the few scenes and actually i think sorry backing up this is one thing i think the show does better than books i think the show embraces questions about morality more and me personally a lot of people would say that's a weakness of the show that that feels more like that 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 feels more heavy-handed what you'd expect out of a show and a narrative whereas the books are more uh-huh. agnostic about that they don't care they're not the, book, the books are not there to discuss morality it feels like they're very cold about it in a lot of ways. I think the show does a better job of handling that, and I like that. But I can see the argument for it not being as strong because of it. Right. Okay. 
Yeah, I think it's good. I'm bummed that it's going to be gone. Me too. For a kind of a long time. All right. So what are we going to talk about next? Uh, I mean, you're going to watch every episode of Ballers. And then we're going to go beat by beat, I think, scene by scene. We might even like just reenact a lot of the scenes. <laughs> we'll just do dramatic readings of every episode of Ballers. We won't even have sort of critical discussion. We'll just read them. Can we also, are we going to do like a fan fiction of Cro- Game of Thrones, Fast and Furious uh, crossovers? Is that... With ballers? Maybe that is ballers. Maybe if you if you did that in its purest form, you extract ballers. <laughs> yeah, that actually might be. It's like that's the middle of the Venn diagram. Yeah. That's it. Thanks for season seven, HBO. Yeah. We'll see you in Thrones. Year. We'll see you in eighteen months or something like that. So you can find me on Twitter at C Campbell Art. Uh, and I am at the Justin Perez on Twitter, and we are at NOTW Pod. And if you want to go find some of our older episodes, they are all at northofwallpod.com. Thanks so And much. subscribe to the podcast, because yeah. I think that's a thing. All right, see you next week. And we'll see you next season, Westeros. Salute me, Familia. Chaos is a ladder unless you fall off of it <laughs> and die. <laughs>